Well, what comes, what comes to mind when you think of rest? When you hear the word rest? Um, is it a relaxing walk in the park? Is it a nap? Uh, it will be today for most of you probably. Is it curling up with a good book by the fire? Um, is it a good night's sleep? Um, is it a beach vacation? Is it retirement? Um, those all sound pretty good, uh, don't they? We live, we live in an interesting day and time. Everyone seems to be looking for rest, and we'll talk about more what that means in a moment, but very few know where or how to find it. Uh, many will finally, they'll make it to the park for the walk. They'll, they'll take the nap. They'll, they'll go on the dream vacation. They'll make it to retirement. And yet, the, the rest that they so desperately seek and crave, it still eludes them. Um, you can be in the most serene, peaceful, tranquil environment in the world and still be restless in your heart. I realize that there are many things in our particular culture in this day and time that, that, that make it difficult to find rest. I mean, uh, success and productivity, those are, those are deeply ingrained values in our culture, more so than rest. That's just one example of some of the challenges we're up against. And, and you, can, you put that with the, the fast-paced, uh, constant connectedness, the digital world in which we live, it makes rest harder and harder to come by. Um, but, the, but the root of our unrest isn't our culture. That's not the problem. The, the root problem is sin. That's it. The, sin is why we are restless. Sin is why we can't rest, why we, why we can't find peace, why we struggle to be content. It's sin. And, and when we are... We are all, we're born sinners who, who've turned against and from our Creator and our Redeemer. Who, and so we naturally seek rest apart from Him. The one in whom, the only one will find rest. And so, this, this quest to seek rest apart from God, it always, it always ends in failure. It never satisfies you can spend your whole life trying to make more money and plan better vacations and build nicer and newer houses and, and, and uh, save for this amazing retirement full of all these bucket list experiences, the things you wanted to do in life. And, and if you're looking for rest in those things, rather than the Lord, your soul will remain weary. And, and the reality is you may even be more restless after you gain those things than you were when... You began. I mean, this is, this is the reality. And this is not new to us. And take the context of Genesis. These words were first delivered to the people of Israel. And they're, as they're in the wilderness coming out of Egypt. And, and, and these first hearers of Genesis, this is their story. That they, they, They're looking for rest in all the wrong places. This, their story is one of, of, of constantly being drawn away to idols and to the gods of the nations, looking for rest, looking for help, looking for safety and security and, 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 and peace apart from the Lord. And so Genesis, this is, again, this is written with this purpose of, of showing God's people, showing Israel first and us now, that the Lord alone is, is intended to be our rest. True rest is found only in God and it's only available to us and because of Jesus Christ and in Him. 
Augustine said in, in prayer to God, and famously, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And this is true for every one of us. Sleep, comforts, vacations, fun experiences, these, are, these can be wonderful things and should be enjoyed, and they're evidences of God's common grace to us. But apart from Christ, those things can never bring true, lasting rest for our souls. And experientially, we can, we can affirm that. So what in the world does all of that have to do with Genesis 2, 1-3? to Which is our text for this morning. If you're joining us and stepping in, we're walking through the, the book of Genesis. Uh, some would say very slowly, but we're making, we're making progress. And we're in chapter 2 now. And, and, and the verses that Mike read just a moment ago, I didn't hear, I didn't see anything about us and our rest. We are not in there. This is God. And so, what does that have to do with us and our rest? Just hold that thought and we'll connect those dots in a moment. But it's appropriate and slightly ironic to be talking about rest on the first day of daylight savings time. Because I'm looking at a bunch of glazed eyes already and, uh, and you're probably looking at some up here. And so, uh, this is, this is, it's amazing what that one little hour can do to us. Um, and, and on a brighter note, uh, today is another day, it's National Ranch Dressing Day, which means nothing to me, but some of you, that's a very exciting thing, so there's that, uh, something to celebrate over lunch. But listen, we have tremendous reason, listen, we have tremendous reason to celebrate today, brothers and sisters, and it's not because of a salad condiment or something like that, and it's not because you're going to have an extra hour of, of daylight in the evenings. No, listen, we have reason to celebrate because, as Hebrews 4, 9 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I realize we haven't explained all that that means, but we gather on this Lord's Day to remember and to celebrate the fact, Hebrews 4, 10, the next verse, we have rested from our works. And God, as God did from His... So because Jesus Christ, our our perfect high priest, came into this world clothed in full humanity and was tempted as we are and yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15, and He suffered and died for our sins and He rose again on the third day and He passed through the heavens, Hebrews 4.14, and we we who have believed enter into that rest, Hebrews 4.3 So now together we, we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's where we're going. That's the connection there. That's something to celebrate today. Amen? I mean, and we will celebrate, and the climax of the celebration will be as we come and as we eat and drink together at the table and we remember what Christ has done for us to give us this rest that's been promised. So I've already given you my introduction and my conclusion, so you can just kind of rest easy a little bit. So I want to backfill a little bit now, and then we'll come and we'll celebrate at the table together. And so today, we come to the end of creation week. We've been walking through Genesis chapter 1, and we come to the end now, the creation week as it's revealed to us in the opening verses of the Bible. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we've been looking over the past several weeks, God forming and filling the earth over those six days. 
And then we get to verse 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. So I wanted Mike to read verse 31 of chapter 1 to chapter, into chapter 2, because I don't want you to see a break between 131 and 2.1. Uh, that's an unfortunate chapter division. Those chapter divisions that are in our Bibles, they're not part of the inspired text. They were added much, much later uh, just as a, as a tool to help us find our place, and which we're very thankful for. Try, try to give somebody a reference in, in Isaiah and let's all find this verse and without markers or something like that. It would be crazy. But, but I want you to think of chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, as a conclusion to chapter 1. That's the connection. There, is, there shouldn't be a break there. God, God used great care. He used great intention in revealing to us how He, how he and that He created the universe in six days. And He uses the same great care and intention in revealing to us the uniqueness of the seventh day. And so the seventh day is unique from the previous six days. And there's many grammatical things that note that. I mean, just very simply, and you can see this in your English translation, is this repetition of seventh day. In these three verses, it's three times here. Um, It's repeated, seventh day, seventh day, seventh day. And so there are are three primary reasons, I think, that the seventh day is unique and and that are evident in this text. And you you see those reasons in in the verbs of the passage here, uh, the key verbs. And three of them, really four, but you see it in verse 1, finished, God finished. Verse 2, God rested. And then verse 3, God blessed or made, and made holy. And so I think those are the things that really show what sets apart the seventh day from the previous six. And so let's walk through those together briefly, and then we'll rejoice at the table. One, first thing we see, God completed. God completed. He completed creation. Verse 1 again, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the hosts of them. And then in verse 2, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So the entire work of creation is now complete. There are no loose ends to tie up. Now if you and I, if you've, I don't know, some of you I know have had the experience of building a house. Um, and even, so whether you're building a new house, whether you're remodeling an old church, uh, which we've been walking through that process here, um, when the work is done, it's not really done. Um, there's, there are always thing, more things that need to be fixed. And so you do all of this work and the contractor is finished and he leaves the job and then you find out, oh, that faucet leaks and, oh, that outlet doesn't work and there's a piece of trim missing over here and, and uh, you know, the, this door won't close right. And so, so you end up with this punch list of items that the contractor has to come back and fix because he's done, but he's not really done. And so that, that's inevitable in any kind of building project that we do. That was not the case after creation week. There were no problems to fix. There were no mess-ups that, that needed to be corrected, no modifications required. Everything was finished in six days, just as God planned. So, so with the beginning of the seventh day, God is done creating. The text is emphatic. There are three times in, in these three verses, this little, little word, all. All the work was done. It's completed. A whole universe now existed where nothing existed six days prior. That's, that's incredible. The vast 
cosmos with all of its incredible wonders, all of them displaying the glory and the wisdom and the power and goodness of, of the one true God, all of that has been finished. And God's verdict on His creative work, which Mike read a moment ago in verse 31, God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. So that's the first thing that made the seventh day so special. And as according to the text here, is God, God completed creation. God completed. Second, second verb here in verse 2, is God rested. So we would just say God ceased. He ceased. Verse 2 again, and on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work that He had done. And then again in verse 3, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So having completed all of His creative work, God rested. That's the word. What does it mean that God rested? Was He worn out? Was he, um, did he? Did He need a breather? He's just dead dog tired after making the whole universe. Is that what this is saying? That's how we naturally think. When we read this about the seventh day, God resting, we think in those terms of being tired like all of us are today. And, and um, because we, we see it through our experience. And so, we, we, I mean, I, I've been doing a little yard project now. The weather's kind of nice and have some old, old raised garden beds that I'm getting rid of because I can't grow anything. And uh, and in putting a fire pit, in, I can do fire. I can't do vegetables, and so that's much more practical to me. It's not practical, but it's it's enjoyable. Um, and so I've been, you know, hauling away dirt and moving in gravel and shoving around. Anyway, after working for a few hours, I'm tired and I'm sore, and I and I and I want to sit down and I want to rest. In fact, I want to lay down and take a nap. And I've done that a few times. And and so we, we might be tempted when we read there in verse 2 to think that, that God was fatigued. But He is not. He is not. God is, God is not weary. He, do, he doesn't ever need to regather His strength, that some strength that He used up or lost somehow after a hard week's work. No. God is omnipotent. His, his power is infinite. His energy supply is, is unlimited. Isaiah 40 Verse 28 testifies to this, the creator of the ends of the earth does not faint or grow weary. God, our creator, doesn't get tired. God didn't need his batteries recharged after making everything in the universe in six days. But it says he, he rested. And in the verb form of that Hebrew noun, that's the, the, the verb here that he rested, is, is the form of the Hebrew noun that we do know, Shabbat or Sabbath. So that doesn't come until Exodus 16, that noun form, the Sabbath. But here is, is that verb form. And to, and to say that God rested, God Sabbathed, it most basically simply means that God ceased from work. That's really the, the core of meaning. He stopped creating. There was nothing more to make, and so He stopped working. He rested. And that's part of it. And the other aspect of, of rest is, according to Scripture, satisfaction. And satisfaction. So, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, you're welcome to turn there. We're going to be kind of going to Exodus a few times here in a moment. Um, but Exodus 31:17, in that passage, the Sabbath uh, there, the Lord is, is establishing the Sabbath as this as this perpetual sign between the Lord and and Israel. 
And he says, in verse 17, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. He was refreshed. And so that's, that's a different aspect. That Now, refreshed, again, we think, in our, in our, we, we think rejuvenation, like um, regaining lost energy. That's, that's how we think of being refreshed. But the, the, really, the idea of this word is he was, he was ref- refreshed by delight and satisfaction in what he's made. That's the idea. He stopped and he, he rested. He en- stopped and enjoyed what he created. It's like the artist who finishes the masterpiece and steps back and enjoys and takes delight in uh, what, what he's done and in an infinitely greater way. This is, this is what God has done. He rested on the seventh day, stopped creating, stepped back and is satisfied with what he's made. Now, to say that God ceased, he ceased from work to admire what he made, that doesn't mean that God stopped working altogether. Um, God didn't enter into retirement on the seventh day and uh, just you know, kicked up his feet from that point. I know they're, they're uh, called deists, people who believe that God made the world and then he kind of wound it up like a clock and then he, he just turned it loose and stepped back and let it run by itself. That's not what our God has done. No, God ceased from his creative activity. That's what he's resting from, his creative activity. He has always continued to work in other ways. He's sustaining what he's created. He's holding it together by the word of his power. He is, he is making sure that all the creatures continue to, to propagate. And so when little Ava is born, God's knitting her together in his womb. And, and so God is, is hands-on involved uh, continues to be hands-on involved in working. He's, he's working in providence and arranging circumstances of our lives. And so if God stopped working for a split second, the whole universe would cease to exist. He, that, that, so that's how active God continues to work. So it's not that He's doing nothing, but it's that He's ceasing from creative, His creative activity. He's made the universe, and He steps back and He's satisfied. Jesus spoke to this, and it was in the context of a Sabbath discussion uh, where Jesus was being challenged because of uh, how they, the Pharisees and the religious leaders interpreted his actions as trampling on the Sabbath and doing work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus declared to those Jewish leaders of his own day, My Father is working until now, and I am working. John 5.17 He's just saying, God... He's always working. And he's, he's saying uh, in that statement, I am God. I, that God has never stopped working. And so he didn't stop working altogether on the seventh day. He simply rested from the work of creation, ending that aspect of his work. All right. Now, while I want, I, I want to keep the focus here in Genesis 2 on what's said about God resting, because that is really basically the extent of what Genesis 2 is, is claiming. And, and, and I can't develop a whole theology of resting and of Sabbath in, uh, in this sermon today, and there are lots of trails we could run down. But I do want to note that in the context of this Genesis account of creation, what's not here? And, and what's not here is that there's no mention of 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 any rest for Adam. 
Um, it simply says that on the seventh day, God rested. God ceased. God was satisfied. There's no command in these verses for Adam or for anybody to rest on the seventh day. There's no ordinance, as it were, here mandating seventh day rest, ceasing from work. No restrictions are put in place for what Adam could, could not do on the seventh day. That's not here. The focus in this passage is, is on God. You look, there's ten verbs in, this, in these three verses. Eight of those ten verbs have God as the subject. This is about God. It's not about Adam. It's not about Eve. It's not about Israel. This, on the seventh day, is saying God rested. And what He has done with the seventh day. So there's, there's no evidence that anyone kept uh, the Sabbath until Israel did about 2,400 years after when God told them to. And, and so we never read of Adam or Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or anyone else keeping uh, the Sabbath. It's not until the law comes through Moses that the, that the Sabbath is kept in that sense. And so, now remember the context of Genesis. These first years... They're first getting this word, and most likely the Israelites are hearing this Genesis account around the same time that they're getting the Ten Commandments. So it's this revelation that God's giving to, to His people through Moses, and it's all kind of coming in the same span of time. And so it's not like Noah or Abraham or anybody else before Moses had this written revelation. They didn't have Genesis they didn't know how it, how it all began other than and, and some kind of oral traditions and things that were passed down. But as the Lord revealed this book of beginnings to Moses, after the Lord brought them out of Egypt, their, their covenant sign and their command, we're going to talk more about this in a moment, of Sabbath keeping is connected to the Lord's rest on the seventh day of creation week. And so... So, so, so the, 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 the God resting on the seventh day, I'm not saying the Lord no doubt anticipated this command that He was going to give, the sign that He was going to give, and so, so I'm not saying they're unconnected at all, but I just want you to say that, that while there, and, and let me say this, while there's no creation ordinance in the sense of uh, that Sabbath keeping in Genesis 2, there's not um, all these regulations that are laid out. I don't think that's bound up in Genesis here. While that's not the case, we do learn about who we are as image bearers of God in this. And so I'm not saying there's no relevance or connection to us. There's no regulation of Sabbath for all humanity given in Genesis 2. But it does show us the rhythm of human life God has given to us and intended for us. The creation week, it it established this permanent pattern for all of humanity. He's, He's programmed us, as it were, that we, that we thrive best under this pattern of work and rest that closely parallels His own work and rest in the, creative, in the creation week. And so one day of rest in seven, it's just right. This is, this is right. It's right for everybody. This is God's wise, good gift to us. This is this innate rhythm of work and rest. Um, and so Genesis 1 to 2, it, it's, it's demonstrating to us the sanctity of both work and rest. That work is sanctified because God works. And rest is sanctified because God rests. And so I, I, it's amazing how, how, how few Christians take rest seriously. Um, 
Even physical rest. This is something God intends for our good. And so there, while there's no, again, there's no revealed ordinance that, you know, for how the seventh day, the seventh day rest is supposed to be regulated, there, there's this, this pattern of work and rest that's woven into creation itself and should be part of our lives. It's the image of God and man to see that there's more to life than work. And, and it's the fall that messes all of that up. And so I realize this is hard for us. I, I know our day and time is different than these original hearers. We don't live in an agrarian society. And so for most of human history, people have got up, you know, when the sun comes up and they work till the sun goes down with some breaks along the way and maybe a nap. And, but, but then work is done. Sun goes down, there's nothing to do. You eat, you tell some stories, and then you go to sleep. That's it. You get rest every day. Today, the way we're digitally connected, your smartphones are buzzing through the night if you keep them on the bedside table. and It's hard to take a break from work. But we need rest every day. That's how God's made us. And we should have a a day of rest from work every week. That doesn't mean me time. I'm talking about a day where you just get to veg out and, and just live this self-absorbed life. That's not rest. I'm talking about time to rest from the toil of work. Spend time with people. Take a nap, yes. But, but really, the idea of this is, is even, I think, a great way, biblically, to, to do this is to get outside. Enjoy God's creation. Delight with God in the goodness of of what He's made. God delights in what He's made. He still does. He's still satisfied. He's still enjoying. He's still resting. There is no end to the seventh day. He's still delighting in it. And so when we do that, we're not like doing this for God. We're just doing something that God's already doing. And this is part of the way that God has made us, is is to have that rhythm of life. Again, I'm not suggesting we're bound to the ceremonial requirements of Sabbath law or anything like that. I'm just saying as image bearers of God, we're made for this rhythm of work and rest. Alright, so the seventh day is unique. It's unique because God completed. It's unique because God ceased. And then third and finally, it's unique because God consecrated on the seventh day. Consecrated the seventh day. Verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So He blessed it. Now we've already seen the word blessed in Genesis 1, in this account. He blessed some of the creatures that He made. He blessed man. And in the context, He blessed them so that they could, what, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And so there's this, that's, that's part of it. There's some sense in which God, God blessed the seventh day. That's unique. He's not blessing Animals or people, he's blessing a day, and he's and he's and he's making this day in a sense spiritually fruitful. And I I, I think he's anticipating likely his purpose for Israel because it's all delivered in the same context. And and also he made it holy or sanctified it. He set it apart. This is the this is the very first time in Scripture that anything is said to be holy. Uh, kadosh, this is that Hebrew word, the holiness of that's going to be so important throughout the rest of Scripture. But it, this, this, it's the seventh day is set apart from the other days of the week, both in creation and later in covenant. 
And so let's fast forward then, and we're going to do a quick, quick um, uh, connecting the dots here from where we started to where we've been here in creation. So fast forward from creation to the Lord giving the law to Israel. And so this blessed and holy day takes on new meaning with Israel. And so the first reference to the Sabbath is, as a noun is in Exodus chapter 16. It's when the Israelites are in the wilderness, God's giving them manna to eat. And it says in that context, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, verse 22. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That's the first reference. And a few chapters later, Exodus chapter 20 when we find the giving of the Ten Commandments. And the Fourth Commandment reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall shall not do any work. For, and here's the reason, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then in Exodus chapter 31, we reference this a moment ago. We see the Sabbath is, is a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Exodus 31, verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And a few verses later, God continues, verse 17, It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. So this is serious. To, To ignore, to break... This covenant sign, the Sabbath, it's, it's tantamount to breaking the whole covenant. I mean, that's, that's why this is so serious and why there's these consequences. I mean, if I took my wedding ring off, threw it on the ground, and stomped out of the house, Brooke would have no doubt as to the message that I was communicating to her. I, you, and I are, you and I are finished. Our marriage is over. That's, that's what that, would, that sign would be saying of me, me doing that. Similarly, when, when an Israelite went out and worked on the Sabbath, he was essentially disavowing his covenant relationship with Yahweh. Now, I say that, but I don't, want, don't think of the Sabbath as shackles. <laughs> shackles for Israel. That's not how it was... To be viewed, that's not God's intention. It was, it was more like that wedding band. Think of it like that wedding band. A wedding band. This is a gift that my wife gave me. It's a, it's a symbol of the goodness and the beauty and the, and the love that, that, is, that is our marriage. This is a, it's a symbol of delight. It's not bondage. It's not meant to be a burden. And the Sabbath day was a, this gift of God meant for rest, meant for reflection on God as, as, as our only Creator and Redeemer. That was the intention of it. Now let's hit the fast forward button one more time. And we go up to 
to the time of Jesus Christ, to New Testament times, and we see Jesus clashing with the religious leaders of his own religious leaders of his own day over the Sabbath. They accused him of not keeping the Sabbath because he did things that they didn't think should be done on the Sabbath. And I'm not talking about that Jesus broke Old Testament uh, laws. I'm talking about all of those man-made regulations that they layered over God's law and the things that they created uh, around the Sabbath observance, all of these legalistic details, and Jesus paid no regard to them. And so, for instance, they, there was this confrontation where they, they, they hated Him, they condemned Him for healing someone on the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus and His disciples are walking through grain fields, and, and one of His disciples just kind of plucks off a head of grain and just gives a little snack and, and eats it. And they say, Ah! They're harvesting on the Sabbath! It's ridiculous. And so, so this, this, this day meant to represent a, this gift from God that had been turned into this burdensome yoke that brought weariness, not rest. And, and so the religious leaders and this whole religious system that they created, it, it took something that symbolized God's grace for them and a rest in Him and it turned it into legalistic effort. And it was not focused upon God and delight in Him anymore. It was, about, it was about man. What we did for Him to appease Him. As they were so wrapped up in their petty little details and rules that they, they missed the entire point of the Sabbath. And, and more than that, they missed who was standing right in front of them. And Jesus calls them on it. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And again, go to Genesis 2. This is is where it's coming from. This is God's design. God worked. God rested. God gave this gift. Sabbath was made for God. It wasn't man's idea. It's not made for man. Or it's not... Uh, uh, man's not made for the Sabbath. And then he goes on, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's trying to show them that the Sabbath is a shadow. He is the substance. To, to, to use Paul's words in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so this morning, we can't deal with all of the questions I know that come up concerning the relationship of the Sabbath under the Old Covenant to the Lord's Day under the New Covenant. But we can say this, the Christian is not bound to that, to that Mosaic law. Those laws, the Sabbath, these were shadows that pointed to, to Jesus who fulfilled the law. And so just imagine a young wife whose military husband is, has been overseas and, and she, she has this photograph that she leaves on the, on the table in the kitchen and she looks at it every day and she looks longingly at this picture of her husband and, and, and takes delight in, in seeing this picture. Then one day the doorbell rings. She opens the door and there her husband is standing and dressed in his, in his uniform and excited to see her. She quickly slams the door in his face and goes back to the table and picks up that photo and holds and looks longingly in it. I mean, that's crazy, right? But, but this is what it would be for the Christian to, to cling to it, to an outward observance of, of Sabbath without realizing that it's a shadow, it's a picture of Christ. 
Christ is the true substance. Now that Christ has come, it's vain to keep clutching the photo. So, alright. So what does that mean for us then? To get back to us and our rest and our restlessness. How do we as Christians, quote, keep the Sabbath? It's by looking to trusting in Christ. Resting in Jesus. Again, Jesus is the substance that the shadow points to. He's, he's the ultimate meaning of Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest. I'm not making this up. The New Testament makes this clear. clear. Hebrews chapter 4, turn there with me. And, and, and this is a passage that you can meditate upon over days to come and years to come. I mean, it's glorious truths and connect it to what we're seeing here in Genesis 2. And it's flowing right out of this, of this account of God resting in Genesis 2. It's all a setup. It's pointing us to Jesus Christ. And so I, we don't have, we're not going to read through the whole passage now, but just, just put your bookmark there. But verse 3, see this, I'm just going to kind of spot through here. We, we who have believed enter that rest. We believed. See, it's by believing that we enter the rest. Believing is resting. It's the opposite of working. There's no more work to be done Christ has accomplished the work. There's nothing we can add to His work. What we do is rest in Him by believing in Him, trusting in Him. So look down at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. Then verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now that's commands a little perplexing at first, isn't it? How does one strive to enter rest? If you, can't, if you can't enter by working, but only by resting, then how do you strive to enter? Doesn't sound like striving. Would, striving sounds like working. Well, it depends on the nature of the striving. And we have to understand the context of what he, he's saying in the book of Hebrews. Go, go back to Hebrews chapter 3, and I think we get some, some, some light that's shed on this. Verse 12. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another day, uh, day, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we see, striving, it's not about, it's not about outward appearances. It's not about producing righteousness of our own. It's not about being good enough. It's this striving has to do with our hearts. What are, we, what are we hoping in? It's at that level that we strive to enter God's rest. We strive, listen, we strive to fix our eyes on Jesus by faith so that we'll see more of His beauty and of His goodness and of His grace and of, and of His greatness and we'll be less enticed by sin as a result of that. And we need one another in this fight for faith. We need to exhort one another constantly. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Rest in Him. Sin won't give you what you really want. Striving to be good enough isn't going to give you rest for your soul. Nothing can cure your restlessness except Christ. Rest in Him. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling on us to do with one another. That's how we're to talk with one another. Listen, are you resting in Christ today? Brothers and sisters, 
In, in your frazzled, hurried, fast-paced life, where are you seeking rest? Is your hope in a comfortable house, in a nice vacation, in retirement, in a nap? <laughs> I mean, don't, don't fool yourself. Those things can be very good and should be enjoyed, but none of those things will bring the rest that you're seeking and that you desperately need apart from Christ. Rest in Jesus. Rest in Him. Jesus pointed to Himself as our Sabbath rest when He said, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you've never known this rest, I beg of you to trust Christ today. If you're, if you're here for the first time, if you've been coming here for years, and you don't, you've never known this rest, trust Him. When you trust Christ as Savior, rest becomes yours because the, the burden of sin is lifted. And rest becomes yours because you, 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 you cease trying to, to earn anything from God. You cease from trying to be good enough to earn God's approval. It's something you can never do. So you, you can know this rest. But believer, you, 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 your trust is in Christ. But we, we struggle, don't we? To continue to trust, to continue to rest. This is Hebrews. Resting is trusting. Our experience of rest is proportionate to our trusting in Him. The more we trust, the more we rest. And so I, I pray that the Lord will allow us, not just as individuals here, but together as a church, to grow and trust and grow and rest in the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would um, meet us in our restlessness today. And to varying degrees, we confess, Lord, our hearts are not at rest. And some have never known rest, and I pray, Lord, today might be the day where that burden of sin is lifted from them. The burden of trying to appease You. And that they would, they would trust in You, Christ, and what You have done, in Your death for our sin, taking our sin upon Yourself, dying in our place, rising from the dead, and saying, come, no rest, trust me alone. And I pray that some will be delivered out of the darkness of restlessness and, and know the, the light of rest and joy and salvation today. And for all, all of us who are in Christ, and yet we still battle. This is why we gather every Lord's Day. This is why we have to be in the Scriptures and reminding ourselves of the promises of God. This is why You've given us this ordinance to call us back, to point us out from, uh, away from uh, uh, looking inside ourselves and looking up to Christ. And so I pray that you would use this again to draw our eyes to Jesus and that we will trust Him, rest Him even more today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.